It's the Speedway Show, an idea exchange empowering us to live well, live fully, and love deeply. And now, here's our host, Speedway. Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the Speedway Show. Today, I want you to meet my special guest, Portia Tewabade. Portia is an award-winning author who taught English for several years at Georgia Tech and Nigeria's Federal Government College in Kaduna. Her short stories have appeared in African Voices Mobius, the Journal of Social Change, and the Hawaii Pacific Review. Among other publications, she is writing a second novel near her hometown, of Atlanta, Georgia. And now I have Portia, who has just joined me. Portia, welcome to the Spiwe Show. Thank you. Um, I'm so happy to be with you this morning, Spiwe. I'm very excited about this experience. Okay, so if I, let, me, let me make sure for all the members of the audience who heard me say your name the first time. Uh, let me make sure it's, we are actually saying it correctly. Uh, is it Tewobade? Tawobade, that's correct. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a weird name. And as one who has a weird name, I always get annoyed when people get my really weird name wrong. I get it especially I get especially annoyed when they try and guess and they totally botch it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If they ask, I'm happy to say this is how you pronounce it. So I understand yeah. absolutely what you're saying. Yeah, because I get, you know, it's 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 pronounced anyway. So I get spiwi, spiwi, um, sipwi, and I'm just like, okay, why didn't you just ask? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. I don't know what it is because I always say we can't all be Smith and Jones. There has to be some well, uh, some differences. There have to be some Barack Obamas and some Portia Tewabadis. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so what is the origin of that name for you? That is a Nigerian name. That is my husband's name. He is from the um, from Nigeria on the west coast of Africa and mm-hmm. the city of Lagos. So Ew. the name itself is, it means to receive the crown, although we are not royalty. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I think if you trace back your roots long enough, you might figure out that. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm just guessing. But it may be that actually there is some royal sort of origin to the name, perhaps. Yes, yes. But you're actually not Nigerian yourself, right? Oh no! I was born and raised oh, in Atlanta. Like that. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I mean it like that. It just came out. Oh no! Because oh, many, Nigeria, many times. Yes, many. I guess I said it like that because many times people hear the name and they assume that okay, she is she's not from here, and I guess that's why I say it that way. I confess that was what I you had to correct me because I assumed that you mm-hmm. must have been Nigerian as well, and that no. you had to correct me. And I guess I should have gotten the clue when I when you said your you know your hometown is Georgia. And I'm like, oh, are you Nigerian? 
<laughs> and then you said, no, you're from Georgia. I was like, oh, well, you, duh. Okay. Um, so how did you and your husband meet? Uh, we met on a blind date in New York, and a friend introduced us, and 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 I was very leery of blind dates, so I had him to meet me at Grand Central Station. I thought that was a safe place. <laughs> Yeah, and that sure was decades ago. That's funny. So you've been married now? How long oh, have you been married now? About 40 years. Get out. Yes. Well. <laughs> this went well. <laughs> yes, it was a lucky blind date, I guess you could say. Best blind date ever, I think. So yeah. Now, um, I, you know, I, I'm intrigued because, your because of the the topic and and the subject of your book. But first, tell us what was it that inspired you to write this book? Well, I I, I think it was the questions and the curiosity of others of people that I would meet. And once they heard that I had lived in Nigeria, especially African-American women, they would say, oh, my goodness, that must have been something. What was it like? And over and over I'd get that question and a lot of curiosity about the culture, less mm-hmm. curiosity about me and why I was there and more about. So I said, you know, I should put this in writing and just share my experience that way. Well, I have to tell you, um, I am I'm from Zimbabwe. Okay. And once upon a time I was married to an African-American gentleman and oh, okay. we went home. He was from Alabama. So we went mm-hmm. we went to Zim and he was so excited before he went because he had this view that, you know, because of the history and slavery and everything else, there's that sense of, you know, I, I really don't belong here. I'm I, I should have been, would have been. Uh in the homeland, in my motherland, had, you know, these people not showed up and taken us away, right? So there was a sense for him of homecoming. And if you, I don't know if you ever watched Truth, but there's sort of this, this homecoming um, piece where Alex Haley goes home and these people greet him, oh, my brother, you have come home, welcome, welcome. So he has this sort of romantic idea in his head. And he was so, and I tried to sort of soften it with, well, actually, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it's not like that. So we get home. <laughs> no, it was not like that at all. And so we get home, and, you know, when people first saw him, they assumed he was Zimbabwean because he was, he was, you know, he had darker skin than me as a very brown-skinned yes. man. And then the minute he opened his mouth and they realized he was American, they treated him like a foreigner, Right. And yes, so they treated yes. him like an American. They called him a Negro. They 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 they, they exactly. basically treated him like a a um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Expatriate. A novelty. And they yes, had a yes. novelty, but you know whatever it was, they certainly had, didn't have in their heads that this was a brother coming home. This is our son returned, right? Because for Zimbabwe, slavery was not a part of our reality or colonized, but you know we weren't part right. of the slave triangle. And so he was so disappointed and just really disillusioned because then he felt like, I don't feel like I quite belong in the U.S. I don't feel like I quite belong in Zimbabwe and therefore right. to him in Africa. 
And so I wonder if, because I'm guessing you've been home to Nigeria a time or two, so what was your experience like when you got there? And were you surprised by how you were? The same as the same as he is actually, because with as being an African American, you do think, oh, I'm going home, and these people, because we are all, all Africans, and they are going to accept me as an African. In actuality, what really happens is that you find out that ethnicity is more important than your skin color. Whereas here in the United States, we think oftentimes of a bond because of skin color. We are all uh, brothers and sisters, whether from the islands, uh, whether from Africa, wherever we are from, because we are black, we are brothers and sisters. And it's not that way. It's your ethnicity, your country, your tribe, your country, your village. And so my experience, and, and I did incorporate, those were some of the things I incorporated in my book is that when people spoke to me, they saw an American, and mm-hmm. it was in actuality the first time in my life that I had that feeling of being an American with nothing else attached to it other than I was American. And in this country, <laughs> I always had the feeling that I was something, I was American, but something else, and not quite in not quite a member of the family. And so I was shocked, and I put that in the book as one of the things, because that was one of the things that shocked me, was to hear people call me a Yankee. And I said, and like, what? who are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> they would tell him, your Yankee wife. And I would say, do you have another wife? Because <laughs> I'm not a Yankee. <laughs> And so that was just really, really odd. So I really sympathize with what he experienced. Mm. Well, speaking of which, so talk to us about this book. It's called During a Dry Season. I, uh, I, you, you sent me a complimentary copy of the book. Thank you for doing that. I read it. And I, I actually found it quite riveting. And I, well, I think I was kind of sad <laughs> at how it went, yeah. Um, yeah. and I won't give it away. But it was, it was a. I thought it was actually a a an unflinching look at culture, at both American and Nigerian culture. So, give us the backdrop for the book. Uh, now, I want to make sure I understand. When you say backdrop, you mean the setting. Or yeah, what is the book about? Mean, so this is, okay, remember, okay, we have an audience of people okay. who've never heard of the book. They don't know what okay. it's about. So tell us what the book is uh, is about. Okay. This, this book is about a young African-American woman from the housing projects in Brooklyn. And as you can tell from that description that she had no money. She is, mm-hmm. however, a striver. She's a college graduate. And she meets a Nigerian who is very wealthy, and he takes he asks her to come to marry him, and they go back to Nigeria. Her anticipation is that they're going to she's going to live a Cinderella life. She has this rich man. She's from the projects, so all of that is understandable. Unfortunately for her, she has some problems. First one is infertility. 
she's not barren, but she's unable to carry a baby to term. A big problem in Nigeria. And her mother-in-law despises her for it, for, for being infertile, for not producing an offspring, and also because she is a foreigner. And so the mother-in-law immediately begins to plot to get rid of her. Meanwhile, she's dealing with other adversities. A husband who has a philandering eye, and throughout the most of the readers who, who communicated on Amazon and also to me personally find this very frustrating, that she's able to tolerate his infidelities. So she's dealing with that, and she also decides she's a strong woman on one side because she opens up her own bakery dress shop and is very successful. And remember, she comes from the projects in uh, Brooklyn, which means she knows how to survive. But because of the culture and her misunderstanding of the culture, she stumbles her way through it all until at the end um, of the novel. So that's really the gist of it. Well, I have to say, as an African woman, reading this book, I was struck by how it looks so different if you are thinking about it from the viewpoint of the African culture versus the American culture, right? Because too often right. I think people, people who are not Africans and who are not African Americans assume that, you know, y'all black people ain't at the same. <laughs> and I've had right, people right. ask me, so you're African and you're African American. What's the difference? And I think yeah, well, exactly. it's a little bit like being a first generation it's a little bit like living in Greece uh, as opposed to being a Greek American who has who is you know ten generations in right exactly. um, it's a completely different culture, and as you said earlier, it's not about skin color, it's about culture because actually, as I read it, I understood why fertility was such an issue because in a lot of African countries it's not just about having children and lots of them because that is a sign that you are wealthy and able to take care of them. It's a sign that you are, you know, if you're a man, you're virile, right, and you are productive, and right. I look at the brood that you have. But also it is, it is that you're, you're, you're not just supposed to have kids, but you're supposed to have sons. <laughs> exactly. You must and have. So, oh, yes. And so, you know, I come from a family of just two girls, and I remember my my paternal grandmother would get on my mother constantly. I mean, every single day. She was yelling, and my mom was Zimbabwean too, right? So, but she, was, she, was, she would constantly berate my mom for not having children. And I'm the oldest, and my sister is nine years younger than me, so we're both around. And in my grandmother's view, although she loved us, in her view, my mom did not have any real children because she didn't have sons. Exactly. And my mom would get so upset. And I would just kind of laugh because, you know, that was grandma. That was just the way she was. Um, but, you know, it, it, and, and then the whole concept of infidelity is, is viewed in some ways quite differently in African culture, right? Because this is yes. what you described was a polygamous society. 
And so yeah. even though the women didn't like it, it was quite common for the men to have wife one, wife two, wife three, right? And they all sort of found their own value in that hierarchy. I'm the first wife, I was the chosen one, blah, blah, blah. And I think, you know, the first, the, the mom, the mother-in-law, your, your main character's mother-in-law actually talks in that way, that she was the first one. And then if exactly. you're the youngest wife, you're feeling like, I'm cute, I'm young, I'm your replacement. And I'm fertile and I'm having boys. <laughs> and I'm having some sons, Jack, so, you know, to heck with you, first wife. And so I'm reading it and I'm kind of laughing because I can imagine if you are an American reader, all some of that is actually quite shocking, isn't it? Because I'm, yeah. I'm guessing some of your readers were just like, "Oh my gosh, what is this?" Exactly. I mean, they were, and I have one friend who's still in Nigeria. We met over there, and she also was frustrated with Garnett, the main character, even though she lives in the middle of it. But then her life is very different from the life that I'm des- describing in during the dry season. And so she's just, she, she said she wanted to shake her. And that has been, <laughs> that's been the reaction of almost everybody. They just want to shake her and say, are you crazy? Do something. Get up and, you know, stand up for yourself. The other thing that's going on is the respect for elders. And it is a part of African culture, and I think it's universal in uh, everything that I've read about African countries, the respect for age and the elderly. And so Garnett's hands are really tied because that's her husband's mother, and it goes without saying that she's older and she's due proper respect. So what what you could say as a daughter-in-law in this country, you dare not say it there. Well, and, and actually there are times when she does try, right? And she, she does try and stand up for herself and she sort of, you know, it's almost like you can see the tension because she'll say something like when she went, I forget where they went, but the family took this trip and they went and they were hanging out with uh, the other in-laws and the men are having this conversation and Garnett pipes up with her opinion, which was clearly not welcome because, number one, she's a woman. And number two, exactly. she's inserting herself into this very male, private conversation, and they all kind of looked at her like, what did she do? <laughs> and she's exactly. immediately wishing, oh, I wish I hadn't said anything. <laughs> exactly. And not even her husband would defend her. Her husband wouldn't defend her because she was out of order. You're right. And, and it was awesome. just because she was a woman and she's not supposed to be hurt. Exactly. Exactly. I used to laugh because... Here we would say women are fed before men, but I noticed in my husband's country that the men are fed first, then the children, the women eat last. Well, that's the hierarchy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so we can talk all day about that, but that's interesting. But it's true because, you know, it's, and, and, and a lot of African cultures are the same. So when I was growing up as the girls, you know, it was mm-hmm. our job to take a dish of water around for everybody to wash their hands before the meal. So you exactly. put a towel over your arm and you hold the dish. But 
the trick was you had to be in respecting your elders you had to be at a lower level than they were so if so you first had to go to the men if the men were seated then i had to get on my knees so that i could exactly. be at a lower level while they washed their hands right exactly <laughs> It was always a funny thing because I always thought, well, if they're sitting on the floor, ideally, should I, like, lay down? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, that would have been unladylike. So I had to be on my knees, and I had to sit on my knees so that I would be at the lowest level I could be and still be erect. So the men exactly. could wash. And then I had to go around to the women, and the women would wash because I was the girl. And then, you know, mm-hmm. the kids, well, y'all were just on your own. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's 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 almost that way too. In in uh, with the Yorubas, my husband is Yoruba in uh, Nigeria. It's it's almost the same way. I am not surprised. So, how much of your relationships with your in-laws and your husband are reflected in this book? I would say that very little, and the reason why I would say that. First of all, my husband and I have been married for decades. That's not exactly what happens in, during the dry season. The yes. other thing is my mother-in-law did not speak a word of English. And oh. so everything that she did seemed very welcoming to me. She would talk <laughs> to an interpreter, and she and I don't know what she was saying, but I have to assume that it was good because they always said good things when they interpreted what she had to say to me. When we lived in Nigeria, we did not live in the same. She was in Lagos and we were in Kaduna, which is the setting for during a dry season. So actually my relationship with my mother-in-law, I would say, was good. First of all, I had two sons. So right there, and at the time, my two sons were the only sons that were, the only children that would carry the family name because none of my husband's brothers at that time had sons. So they didn't mess with me. So you were royalty, (laughs) weren't you? You were like the shining example of the perfect daughter-in-law. Why, see here, Portia's got two boys. Exactly. (laughs) That's really funny. they had parties when those boys were born. I mean, they had parties in Nigeria to celebrate the birth of my sons in America. That's how important oh, they it did. was. Yes. So it wasn't what I did actually uh, is I drew from the experiences of women that were around me in Kaduna. I lived in Kaduna and in a small place called Boko, both of which are like north-central Nigeria. And there was one particular woman who was, she wasn't able to have children. She was actually barren, and her situation was really bad. And she used to share some of her worries with me. And I sort of recorded those in my head, and I used her as, the basis for Garnett, the the central character. Some of the things, like I just mentioned about being called a Yankee in the market, I drew from my own experiences. So what I did was I brought together uh, so many experiences from other women, and that's really what I wanted to do because 
I feel that the truth about anything is not just one person's perspective. I tried, remember there was another character named Ruth, and Ruth was from um, the West Indies. She was very happy with uh, her situation in Nigeria. She had a loving husband. She had a baby. She had another baby on the way, and she said, when she was in the island, she used to look across the ocean with her father, and her father said, look over there, little girl, and you can see Africa. Her father was a Garveyite. So for her, it was a totally different experience. And there are women that came to Nigeria at the same time that I did and still there, and they are happy. So it. It depends on the person, and that was the, what I was trying to convey. Well, I thought you you did a masterful job. Did you actually you. given so given the wealth of information that you had at your fingertips? Did you actually need to do a lot of research for this book, or was it all from? personal experience, observations, and, you know, the people that you met along the way? I would say 80% was personal observations and the people that I met along the way. The other 20%, I I did have to do a little research. For instance, the Mai Tassini, uh, the group that, the the terrorist group that attacked, well, that was in in the book, I had to Mm -hmm. find out more than I actually remembered about them. I was there during one of their sieges in Kadun. Remembered a little of it, but wow. not as much wow. as I, I wanted to be it to be authentic. So I did do research in that regard. And I'll tell you a funny little story. I wanted to use uh, Pigeon English, and I wanted to use Yoruba so that it would make it real to the reader. So my husband was my resource because I'd read something to him, what I thought was a good example of pidgin English, and he'd say, no, 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 that's not how you say it. And so he was correct. <laughs> so so I did have a built-in resource, an in-house resource. <laughs> so he helped me a lot in that regard. Well, that is excellent. So tell us. Um, so now the 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 show is uh, about thirty minutes long, and um, so what I'm going to ask you, because we're not done with this conversation, is I'd like you to stay on, and uh, let us record a second part to the show. Would that be all right? Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Oh, thank you. Okay, excellent. And then what I um, would ask you, because you've got people who are listening who are perhaps now intrigued who are thinking so now where can i get this book so tell us all the places we can access this book you can get the book by going on amazon and also barnes and noble it's a self-published book that was an experience uh, that we could talk about in another time and place and you can order it from either one of those two sources and uh, it should come to you within a few days. Most people are familiar with Amazon. Actually, I would encourage everyone to go on Amazon and uh, look at the reviews for during a dry season. I am very, very proud and very encouraged 
by what people have written about my novel. Well, and I do remember going and taking a look, and it was and it was actually well acclaimed. We'll talk about that in the next show. And uh, you got a very positive review, and um, so it, it seems to have been quite quite the success. Have you been happy with the results so far? I have. I mean, I I I am trying to get as much publicity as possible, for, and I'm very very thankful for this particular opportunity this morning. And so I'm very, very happy uh, with everything that has happened so far. I really am. I am so pleased. So, uh, listeners, if you would uh, visit, if you forget everything else, visit speedway.com, and when you get to the posting for this show, you will find links where you can purchase the book and um, other information and uh, related shows that you can um, visit in order to get this book. Very, very well-written book. I read it. I finished it. I loved it. It's called During a Dry Season. And I am going to thank our visitor today, Portia Teobade. Thank you so much for joining us on the Speedway Show. You're quite welcome, and thank you for this opportunity. I'm very grateful. All right, and now we are going to uh, get to the um, outro for our show. And before we go, Portia, I'm going to ask you to stay on the line. And um, we will, this is a pre-recording, and so we're going to tape the next show. And uh, for all of you listeners, you're going to get it not this week, but the following week. Thank you for joining us on The Speedway Show. Visit thespeedwayshow.com for content and other episodes. Join the fan page at facebook.com slash thespeedwayshow. And follow Speedway on Twitter at the handle thespeedwayshow. Until next week, live well, live fully, and love deeply.